Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and of course, cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And today is another Ask Me Anything About Your Anxiety episode, where I will be answering the following question. I've been struggling for a while, tried antidepressants, which seem to make me feel worse. Why is that? I'm not sure what to do anymore, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, dear listener, (laughs) I am so excited to answer this question. And the reason this Ask Me Anything is turned into an entire episode about just one question, which, let's be honest, if you've listened to the other Ask Me Anythings, you will understand why. But this question, I get a lot. Well, there's two main things I hear. One, that either the medication just really isn't working or that it seems to be making you feel worse. And I get a lot of people who just don't want to be on medication and they're looking to taper off and they're having a really hard time tapering off. So my personal experience was both. I was on the highest daily dose of Prozac, which came with a lot of side effects, and it really didn't do anything for my anxiety and panic. And I was also just blowing through my Ativan prescription because I had anxiety every single day and I was having multiple panic attacks a week, at least two to three a week. So because I get this question so much or like different variations of this question, I'm going to break down this episode into a few chunks. Number one, what medication is doing and not doing. Number two, I'm going to break down a few of the reasons that it could actually be making you feel worse because without working with you and knowing your exact cause and your like exact imbalances, it's really hard to say what is actually going on with you, but I can for sure talk about what I see all the time in practice. And there are some very common overlapping causes that to date, everyone I have worked with has had. So there's definitely like a lot of generic suggestions that are still going to help every single person listening. I get questions all the time where it's like, you know, but what, how do I know what I need to work on? And my answer is honestly, you probably need to work on most of it because again, that's what I see in practice is I have yet to work with somebody who didn't have at least five of the main root causes. And I'll talk about what all of those things are. Number three, I'm going to talk about, you know, what I suggest. So to answer your your part of the question where you say, I'm not sure what to do anymore. So I'm going to talk about what to do, both for people who want to stay on medication and also for people who are looking to take the steps to taper off of their medication, which I know wasn't part of the original question. So zero pressure to the person who asked to transition off. Please know that is absolutely not like what I'm trying to get at. I just do get a lot of questions about it. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to include this and bundle this up into a nice little podcast episode that I can direct people to when I get these very common questions. Okay, so let's talk about what medication is doing slash not doing. Unfortunately, the way the medical system is set up, 
and this really isn't your doctor's fault, at least where I live, is the appointments are quick and dirty. It's like 15 minutes, you have one problem, you're in and out. And if you have multiple concerns, you need to book multiple appointments. Some people don't even have family doctors right now, like me, because their family doctor retired and they weren't able to sell the practice. It's a whole thing. (laughs) But anyway, there is zero time in these quick 15-minute appointments to really get into the meat of what's going on. So what's happening is a prescription is quickly being written without any informed consent. Informed consent means that whenever a medication is prescribed, your doctor is taking the time to thoroughly review how the medication works, the benefits, the risks, the side effects, and there should be a discussion about alternatives. Now, caveat here, most medical doctors don't know the alternatives because it's not part of their education and their training. But this is the standard of care that we're missing in our sick care system. Not healthcare system, although I know it's called that, but it's a very reactive sick care system that's really quick to medicate and cut things out. And there is 100% a time and a place for that, especially in the more severe cases where anxiety and the symptoms associated with anxiety are significantly impacting your daily function, your ability to go to work, maybe. Maybe you can't work and being on medication really helps your quality of life and gets you back at work. Amazing. That's just one example. Another example of when there is absolutely time and place for medication is if there's any risk of harm to that person or if it's the individual's preference and their values. Personal preferences, values, and beliefs are going to play a really important role in someone's decision to use medication. Some people are comfortable and they really want to pursue a medication-based approach, and that's amazing. And others want non-medication options, and that's amazing as well. This isn't about right or wrong. It's your body. It's your life. You decide. But if the medication isn't helping or you you don't want to be on it, please know that there are so, 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 so many other options, and most of the time medication isn't necessary. I'm not going to say it's never necessary because nothing is black and white. And for some people, it really may be. But I have yet to see that be true in my practice. I have yet to see somebody who has come to me and they're on medication and they want to come off. I have yet to see it be the case that they need to be on it. But again, that's just in my practice. I don't want to throw out these big blanketed generalizations because I obviously don't know your unique case. So here is the informed consent that you are likely missing out on that explains a little bit why medication is maybe making you feel worse. And for context, I'm really mainly going to be talking about SSRIs and SNRIs today when answering this question, especially since you didn't specify what kind of medication you're on, but usually benzos work really, really well, (laughs) at least in my experience. And they're not being prescribed as a daily medication just as needed. At least they shouldn't be. Taking benzos regularly for even a few weeks can lead to addiction, which is what happened to me. And my psychiatrist at the time, he recognized that he cut me off and wouldn't prescribe me anymore, which was really scary at the time. And I literally, I was 24. I had like a straight up temper tantrum. I used to be, I'm still dramatic, (laughs) but I used to just like take things to a whole other level. I have a big bubbly, dramatic 
personality, but I used to be so reactive and just like take things to like another level. And that's what I did in my psychiatrist's office. I had a full on like temper tantrum. I mean, I was obviously having a panic attack as well as like a breakdown, like a mental breakdown because the benzos were my safety net and he was taking those away from me. But in the end, it was the kick in the pants that I needed to figure out all this, you know, natural shit. I'm doing quotations as people call it. So SSRIs, they raise serotonin levels way beyond the normal range that your body can never naturally match nor does it need to naturally match. That is a really important piece of information I want you to remember. Your body, your brain does not need the levels of serotonin that this medication is providing. This is actually going to crash the body's natural dopamine levels. And dopamine is a neurotransmitter that allows us to feel pleasure and motivation amongst other things. There will always be a give and take relationship with medication, which you won't usually find in the holistic health space. Prozac, which was the medication I was on, Prozac and Ativan, but Prozac specifically, the SSRI, it drops our natural dopamine levels by as much as 57%. Like that's insane. They also have an antibiotic effect on the gut, which is going to disrupt our GABA levels. GABA is our anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. And because of this powerful and artificial influence on your neurotransmitters, withdrawal symptoms are really common in anyone who has been on them for longer than four weeks, making it really hard to taper off this medication. Hard, but not impossible. This one is huge. A lot of people aren't told this. I wasn't told this. I had no idea that getting off my Prozac was going to be like the shit show that it was. My original prescribing physician was my family doctor. It was a quick 15 minutes. I told him I had ended up in the ER with a panic attack and bada bing, bada boom, I was started on medication. And I was also 21. I had no idea I had other options. My family is very allopathic. They're very pro-medication. And no one ever thought to ask me if I wanted to go on medication. My doctor didn't ask. My parents didn't ask. Nobody asked me. I didn't even think to ask myself that. I'm not blaming anyone. It didn't even occur to me to ask myself, hey, do I actually want to be on this medication? I was just blindly following what my doctor said because I didn't want to feel the way I was feeling. And then four years later, when I wanted to come off the medication... Luckily, I was working with a psychiatrist at the time, and he warned me like how hard it was going to be. But having his support really helped me understand the physical side effects of coming off and not to be so afraid of them. And I will talk about that later. So why is it so hard to come off SSRIs? Long-time use, as I mentioned, of SSRIs, and for some that could just mean over four weeks, can lead to physical and psychological, like a physical and psychological dependence on the medication. And because of this, when trying to taper off, it's really common for people to experience what is called the antidepressant discontinuation syndrome, formerly called antidepressant withdrawal syndrome. But the pharmaceutical industry wanted to change it because antidepressant discontinuation syndrome sounds better. Don't forget, this is a business, y'all. 
There is a lot of marketing and a lot of thought and a lot of money that goes into pharmaceuticals. Don't be fooled. They are not looking out after your best interests. They are trying to make money. Now, I'm not saying that your doctor doesn't have your best interests at heart. I hope he does or he or she does. I'm sure they do. But they are part of a system. They are part of a machine that is largely run by insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, and they don't, they're just looking to make money. And so the symptoms of this withdrawal syndrome can range from anything like flu-like symptoms, dizziness, nausea, irritability, insomnia, brain zaps, so those like electrical shock sensations in the head, which are really freaking scary if you've ever had those. And all of these symptoms also mimic anxiety, right? So in addition to that, it's going to increase anxiety, which really freaks people out. And when you haven't been properly supported and coached through this, you think it means that you can't come off the medication because clearly your anxiety is getting worse, but really it's just the antidepressant discontinuation syndrome symptoms and has nothing to do with whether you actually need that medication for your anxiety or not. To give you a more kind of concrete concrete example of why this is happening and why you may experience a spike in your anxiety or depression when transitioning off medication for your anxiety and depression is because your brain is trying to regain its natural balance. So remember how I said that SSRIs, they raise the serotonin levels way beyond the normal range that your body can never naturally match, nor does it need to. So what's going to happen is over time, the brain's going to compensate. It's going to adjust to the presence of the medication and it's going to establish a new normal, which is not the natural normal. So when discontinuing the medication, the brain needs time to adjust again and regain its natural balance, which is going to take time, which can cause temporary imbalances or aggravate pre-existing imbalances And it's going to create these withdrawal symptoms. It also depends on the individual. So there is individual sensitivity that we have to keep in mind. Some individuals are more sensitive to changes in their medication than others. And there could be a lot of factors for this from dosage, like how high is their medication? How long have they been on this medication? Their individual brain chemistry, their gut health, their diet, and genetic factors as well. But I really, when I say genetic, I really want people to hear me loud and clear that your genes, your, your genes are 10% of the picture. Okay. Genetics is 10% of the picture. 90% is gut health, diet, lifestyle, and that can change how your genes are expressed. We have a, a popular saying in the holistic health community that Your genetics might load the gun, but your diet and your lifestyle and your gut health and your nutrient deficiencies, they pull the trigger. You are not a victim of your genes. You have so much influence over them, 90%. But it is something to keep in mind when we're looking at individual sensitivity to either put somebody on medication or taper somebody off medication. And finally, in the work that I do, and this is the most important part, at least for the conversation we're going to be having in this podcast episode, for those who have been using SSRIs to manage their anxiety or depression, 
And if I haven't made this crystal clear already, there's no shame in that. But the medication is all, isn't addressing the root causes of your anxiety, panic, and or depression. So coming off the medication is going to expose that even more. It's going to expose those underlying root causes that weren't addressed and sometimes even suppressed. And this is going to lead to, again, temporary increases and in anxiety and depressive symptoms, making the discontinuation process more challenging, more scary, and again, making you think like, oh, I must really need this medication then. When what people really need was number one, they needed informed consent and they needed all this explained to them in the beginning so that they knew exactly what they were getting into. We're all grown ass adults, okay? We can make our own decisions. If you had had a one hour appointment with me, for example, which is my anxiety relief consult, which I'll link in the show notes, I would explain every single thing that I see from a body-based and lifestyle perspective, dietary perspective, all the things that is creating your symptom of anxiety and panic. And I produce for you a step-by-step plan that you get to keep. It's a PDF on how to release it. Now, let's say somebody came into the consult with me and they said, hey, I'm thinking about going on medication. What do you think? I would take the time to explain everything I'm explaining right now, where I talking about informed consent, I would show them like, these are the steps that you would be looking at taking if you wanted to do this naturally. And then I would leave the choice up to them and support them no matter what they decide. Take medication, don't take medication. That choice is up to you. But at least I want people to be given the full picture so that they can actually make an informed decision. I was not given informed consent and I don't know, honestly, if I would have changed, if that would have changed my decision. It's harder at 21, at least in my opinion, not to really believe that like a magic pill is the solution or not to want to take like the easy button. Whether it's medication or a supplement, there is no magic pill. And to be very clear, I'm not bashing doctors and bashing the system and doctors are employees of the system, but they aren't the ones calling the shots. Medical education centers around what drugs do we use to relieve X symptoms. Medical education does not ask what is the cause of this symptom. And as I've already mentioned, I was on the highest daily dose of Prozac. I took Ativan for four years. And in hindsight, I wish I had known about the alternatives. Because all medication is doing is suppressing the symptoms. It's not doing anything. It's not correcting anything. It's not fixing the problem. And I did not know that. I also wasn't properly informed on how the medication I was taking was impacting my body, nor was I told about the antidepressant withdrawal symptoms. And even in the most severe cases, which mine was, I had to leave school. I could not function. At least I thought I couldn't function without medication, but it turns out I was wrong about that. I was also on the highest dose, so it was clearly a severe case. And even in these most severe cases, alternatives like dietary and lifestyle changes and supporting gut health make a huge difference. Instead, what's happening is people are being prescribed medication after a 15-minute visit and are never told about the withdrawal symptoms until they try to come off. And even then, they aren't being properly supported throughout this process. So they panic and they go back on medication. And I don't blame them. I didn't know what I know now about properly preparing the body 
to taper off medication, something I will talk about later in this episode. So my tapering was rough. But what I did have and what I'm so grateful for is that I had a great psychiatrist who was encouraging me to come off medication, telling me I didn't need it. And he was explaining to me all the scary withdrawal symptoms and he explained them to me in the same way that I'm doing just now, that it's not a sign that I need the medication, even though my anxiety and depression did get worse temporarily during the taper but that it's just my brain needing time to readjust and regain its natural balance and that it will readjust and it will come back into balance. He was also super supportive of holistic medicine and he was the one who encouraged me and led me down the path to studying this and knowing everything I know now and really understanding how to eliminate my mental illnesses without medication. And now here I am, So for anyone listening who's thinking, I've tried to come off medication and it didn't work. I'm just going to be stuck with it forever, I guess. Stay tuned because that is not true and this episode is for you. And for those listening who are like, you know, I actually want to stay on medication. Maybe just lower my dose or maybe not even lower my dose and just learn how to feel better even when on medication. This episode is also going to be for you. Okay, so let's talk about a few of the reasons it could be making you feel worse. And again, I'm just going to be speaking generically from my research, from what I see in practice with my clients, and from my own personal experience, because again, without knowing your specific case, it's hard to say specifically why you feel worse, but a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about are pretty common and very likely some of your whys. So first, let me just break down a little bit what SSRIs and SNRIs are actually doing. So SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they are a class of medications commonly used to treat conditions like depression, anxiety disorders, and other mental health conditions. They work by targeting serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain that is involved in many processes, such as regulating mood and emotions. And here is a very general, like simple overview of how an SSRI works. So it's quite literally in the name. It works by inhibiting the reuptake of serotonin in the brain. Without medication, what is happening is after serotonin is released into the synaptic space between neurons, between brain cells, it is taken back up by the presynaptic neuron through a process called reuptake. By blocking the reuptake process, SSRIs increase the concentration of serotonin in the synaptic space. So if you're like, what? (laughs) In super simple terms, SSRIs help by keeping more serotonin in our brains, but they do not actually create more serotonin, which our body can do naturally given the right tools and the right building blocks. What medication is doing is it's stopping the brain cells from taking back too much serotonin too quickly, leaving more serotonin available. And, you know, in theory, the theory behind all of this is that when more serotonin is available, it's going to improve our mood and make us feel better. So SSRIs help the brain to have more serotonin to communicate with other brain cells, But low serotonin is not the only factor in improving our mood. The serotonin theory has been widely accepted, but it's this like 
simplified explanation that suggests that low serotonin levels are solely responsible for depression, for example. For example, And that's simply not the case. And now we finally have research coming out to support this, something the holistic community has been saying for years. And we always have to remember who funds and pays for research, okay? It's usually big pharmaceutical companies, and it's not really in their best interest to fund research that says that their products aren't actually helping and that they're not actually necessary. That's a conversation for another time, but I'm going to write this down, actually. I'm going to do an episode that's like unpacking the seedy underbelly of scientific research. On the list it goes. So SNRIs, serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, that's what that stands for. Again, it's in the name. It's similar to the SSRIs in that it's a class of medications that's commonly used to treat major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, certain types of chronic pain. But instead of just working on affecting the levels of serotonin, it's working on two neurotransmitters, so serotonin and norepinephrine. So again, same concept as the SSRIs. Serotonin is that neurotransmitter that plays a crucial role in regulating our mood, our emotions, our sleep, our appetite. And then by blocking the reuptake of the serotonin, It's stopping the brain cells from taking back too much serotonin too quickly. But SNRIs are also targeting the reuptake of norepinephrine. And norepinephrine is a neurotransmitter involved in the regulation of things like attention, alertness, arousal. So again, the theory behind this and the concept behind how these medications are working or not working (laughs) is... By inhibiting the reuptake of norepinephrine, then SNRIs are going to increase its availability in the brain, leading to enhanced norepinephrine signaling. Again, with the goal of having a more positive impact on our motivation, our concentration, our energy levels. So by increasing the levels of two different neurotransmitters, the serotonin and the norepinephrine, SNRIs are aiming to provide a broader spectrum of effects compared to SSRIs, which are just focusing only on serotonin. But either way, SSRIs or SNRIs, they aren't addressing why you have anxiety unless the only reason you are experiencing anxiety is because of extremely low levels of serotonin or norepinephrine, which isn't possible. And it's not possible because the body is so intimately connected that even if low neurotransmitters are at play, which they probably are, the question is why? And for this, even benzos are not the solution. Benzodiazepines, they are a class of medications that are commonly prescribed to treat anxiety, insomnia, seizures, muscle spams, etc., And that's exactly how I ended up addicted to them because I struggled with insomnia, major sleep issues for almost four years. And the only thing that would knock me out was Ativan, which is a benzo and works by enhancing the effects of a neurotransmitter in the brain called GABA. GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. An inhibitory neurotransmitter is a type of messenger that helps to calm down the activity in our brains. So think of it like a traffic light that tells the brain to slow down or stop certain activities. 
and it helps keep our brain in balance and prevents it from becoming too excited or too overactive, which is what anxiety is really, right? Or a very simplified version of what anxiety is. When GABA is released, it tells the neurons, so your brain cells, to slow down and relax. It helps us feel calm, reduces anxiety, and even helps us fall asleep at night. So benzos enhance the activity of GABA in the brain by binding to specific receptors called GABA-A receptors. And when benzos bind to these receptors, they increase the uh, efficiency of GABA's inhibitory effects. So they increase that traffic light. Picture little locks. So our brains have these parts called receptors, and these receptors are like these little locks that can only be opened by the right key, just like a regular lock. (laughs) In this case, GABA-A receptors are a specific type of receptor in our brain. GABA is the key that fits into that receptor. The receptor is the lock. And when it goes in, when the key goes into the lock, it helps to slow down and calm the activity in our brain. So this is a little different than SSRIs and SNRIs, which are blocking the reuptake of serotonin or serotonin and norepinephrine, versus benzos act like these little helpers that make the GABA key fit more easily into the receptors, the lock. And then when the benzos attach to the GABA-A receptors, It's like they turn up the volume on GABA's calming effects. So circling back to why this isn't actually addressing why these neurotransmitters are imbalanced, serotonin and GABA production in your body is influenced by your gut health and what you are eating. So this is where our investigation must always begin. When people say, where do I start? Where do I start? I always say diet and gut health. Those are your first steps. Are you eating enough of the foundational building blocks your body needs to build neurotransmitters? So some examples of these building blocks are 100 grams of protein a day, 25 grams of fiber a day, minimum, high quality fat with every meal, veggies with every meal. Maybe you are. If you aren't, a part of this question is a part of answering your question, I'm not really sure what to do anymore. This is something that you're going to want to do. Look at your diet. Now, let's say your diet matches what I recommended. Amazing. Yay. Go you. Now we have to look at your gut health. And actually, we should always be addressing gut health and diet at the same time because we're not just what we eat. We're what we digest, absorb, eliminate, and detox. So just because you eat something doesn't mean your body's breaking it down and sending it to where it needs to go. So we can't address all symptoms, all problems with just diet. We have to sometimes get in there with some specific supplementation to rebalance the gut. Why might this be happening? Like why is your digestive function impaired? Because over the years, your digestive function has been compromised and now it's under functioning. And this compromisation, is that a word? (laughs) Compromisation can even trace back all the way to childhood. And oftentimes it really does trace back that far. If you aren't producing enough stomach acid, for example, if your liver needs attention, if there's inflammation, if the small intestine is permeable, if there's bacteria imbalances in the large intestine, this is not only going to impact your natural neurotransmitter production, but it's going to create the symptom of anxiety. Because symptoms of compromised gut health are not just are not just physical, they're mental as well. And my advice to all my clients, everyone who's looking to come off their medication, 
is always, always, always to first address diet, gut health, and hormones to the best of your ability, build a solid foundation, and then live in that foundation for three months and then very slowly taper off. I'm going to talk about this more later, but also please always taper under the direction of your prescribing physician. Here's another next step for those who are like, I don't know what to do next. If you haven't already watched my free one-hour webinar class called The Three Secrets to Natural Anxiety Banishment, which is linked in the show notes, this walks you through exactly what I mean when I say you have to optimize digestive function, you have to eat in a way that boosts your natural neurotransmitter production, and you have to bring your hormones back into alignment. And within that training, I share 17 things you need to be doing to optimize digestive function, boost neurotransmitters, and bring hormones back into balance. So check that out if you haven't already, because those are all the ways that you're going to want to prepare the body before even thinking about transitioning off medication. So you can probably see where I'm going with this. (laughs) One of the reasons medication is making you feel worse is most likely because you aren't addressing the root causes behind your anxiety, which are diet, gut health, lifestyle, nutrient deficiencies, stress, physical, mental, and emotional stress, and trauma. And I'm not going to get into the root causes in depth here because I have dedicated episodes to this information that will be at least a four-part series, if not a five-part series. And so far, part one and part two are out. So that is episode 11, the real root causes of anxiety, part one, and episode 15, the real root causes of anxiety, part two. And more to come. There will, they'll always be titled that way, so they'll be really easy to find. And there's for sure part three and four for sure, and maybe a part five, because clearly there's a lot to say. But today I want to focus on two things, well, kind of three things, gut health, inflammation, and inflammation is related to gut health, uh, and nutrient deficiencies, because medication is not only not fixing those root causes, but it's also aggravating them and making them worse. Let's start with nutrient deficiencies. So remember how I said that there's always going to be a give-take relationship with medication because medications are designed to address specific health conditions or symptoms by targeting very specific pathways or mechanisms in the body. But as they exert their effects, they're also going to impact other biological processes such as nutrient metabolism. They don't optimize and support the body as a whole. Medication doesn't do this. It supports one area, like kind of, it like interferes in one area that takes from another area or takes from multiple other areas. And they create nutrient deficiencies in a few ways. So they interfere with um, absorption, they alter the metabolism, and there's a little bit of nutrient competition. So some medications can interfere with the absorption of certain nutrients in the digestive system. For example, with SSRIs and SSNRIs or SNRIs, they may affect the stomach's acid production, impairing the absorption of nutrients like B12 and calcium. They're also going to impact nutrient levels in the body by affecting the way the body metabolizes or uses certain nutrients, either by increasing their breakdown or reducing their synthesis or their activation. So this is for examples of this specifically are vitamin D, metabolism, the medication is interfering with the body's ability to convert inactive forms of vitamins into their into into their active forms, which is really important. And then uh, another way is 
medications compete with specific nutrients for absorption or utilization within the body, which is then going to lower levels of these nutrients. Now, that doesn't mean if you're on medication and have to be on medication for whatever reason, you're shit out of luck. You just need to be aware of what nutrients are being depleted, what digestive processes are being impacted, and you want to balance this out with dietary tweaks, nutrient supplementation, and I always recommend to someone on medication to be monitoring their nutrient levels through regular full and complete blood work labs that you will have to pay out of pocket for. In Canada, it's around 300. In the US, it's around 200. It depends where you are. So I personally put aside $25 every two weeks into with every paycheck into my health savings account. And then every six months, I take that $300 to get proper blood work. And I'm not even on medication. I don't even own Advil. I can't even remember the last time I bought anything over the counter from the drugstore. My colleague and one of my mentors, Melissa Ramos of Sexy Food Therapy, has an excellent resource for this. It's called the Blood Test Discovery and Repair Kit. I'm going to link it in the show notes. It comes to $64 US total. So what you want to do is you want to hit that link and it's going to give you like a $27 option and you want to add on the $37 special offer because that is what's going to teach you how to actually read your own blood work for yourself. The $27 is like, this is how you get blood work, not through your medical doctor. This is the blood work you need to get. Uh, and it also talks about some medican, medication interactions and depletions and gives suggestions for supplements to take. And then the $37 like add-on is how to actually read your own blood work and for your family. So for $64 total to have this invaluable information for life, like run, don't walk, and get that resource so you don't have to rely on finding a practitioner who will read it for you, which is something I can do, obviously, for sure, if you want. And I have done that in the anxiety relief consult if the blood work is from within the past six months. And I do that for my private clients all the time. But why not also learn how to read it yourself? And actually, while I'm on the subject of the amazing Melissa Ramos, her focus is autoimmune and autoimmune-related conditions. So that would be something like PCOS or endometriosis. If you have any of that, she's running a free live masterclass on Wednesday, May 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, all about how to heal and thrive with an autoimmune or autoimmune-associated condition. I will be there at the class. I'll actually be moderating it because I support Melissa within her practice. I've worked with her for years now and will probably never leave because I just learned so much and I just love the work I do for her and it's chill and it's easy and it's fun and it doesn't take up like too much time. So I still have plenty of capacity to focus on my own practice. Anyway, I will also, as always, leave the link to that free master class in the show notes and sign up even if you can't make it live because there will be a replay to watch so you can still get all the juicy info. But circling back to nutrient deficiencies, just getting really specific, like what kind of nutrient deficiencies are happening with SSRIs and SNRIs. So with SSRIs, B12, folate, vitamin B9, vitamin D, and calcium, Long-term use of SSRIs has actually been associated with decreased bone mineral density and an increased risk, risk of fractures. And then SNRIs, again, we have B12. Again, we have 
folate, so B9, again, vitamin D, again, calcium, and magnesium. And this is true. I've seen this in blood work, by the way. Like I've, I know this from my research. I learned this and then I see it in practice. I see it in blood work all the time when I'm working with clients and I have access to blood work. Like all these levels are insanely low. And guess what? All of those nutrients, B12, folate, vitamin D, calcium, magnesium, are key players in either the development of anxiety or eliminating anxiety. So it's it's this catch-22 where you are likely depleted in those nutrients in the first place, which is one of the reasons you're experiencing anxiety. And so you go on medication thinking it's going to help, and it's it's not. It's just creating more nutrient depletions, which is making the anxiety and panic worse. Those are also the core building blocks for many neurotransmitters, so specifically B12, folate, magnesium. So now you also don't have the building blocks your body needs to create more neurotransmitters, and you're on medication that isn't creating more neurotransmitters. What it's doing is raising the serotonin levels way beyond the normal range that your body's never going to be able to naturally match, nor does it need to. And again, over time, the body's adjusting to this. And the new normal now for your neurotransmitter levels in the brain becomes way beyond normal range of what it actually needs. So those are nutrient deficiencies. And then we have to talk about gut health. Long-term use of SSRIs and SNRIs is going to impact gut health. It has this antibiotic effect on the gut, which is going to lead to changes in the composition and the diversity of your gut microbiota, so dysbiosis, an imbalance between the good and the bad bacteria or the beneficial and the non-beneficial bacteria or the neurotransmitter building bacteria and the pathogenic bacteria. It's also going to influence the integrity of the intestinal barrier, the intestinal lining. So it's going to increase your intestinal permeability, leading to something known as leaky gut. This is going to trigger an immune system response and inflammation is going to spread like wildfire through the body. And it's also going to impact serotonin regulation because serotonin is involved in regulating gut motility and function. It's not just a mood-balancing neurotransmitter. It has a direct role in the gut. So by altering serotonin levels in the body, SSRIs can impact, and SNRIs, uh, gut motility, and this is going to impact the digestive process. I talk about the importance of gut health and reducing inflammation in anxiety banishment in every single solo episode that I do. It is so, 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 so important. It's two of the six pillars of the breaking up with anxiety protocol. The pillars or the steps are reduce inflammation, optimize digestive function, boost natural neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones into alignment, release physical stress within the body, and learn to manage mental and emotional stress, learn to respond to it differently, not react to it and build a flexible nervous system. So again, to circle back to the part of the question saying, I'm not sure what to do anymore, my question for you is, out of those six steps, what have you done? And if you're unsure where to start and need more information, I got you. 
You can check out episode 11 and 15, The Real Root Causes of Anxiety, part one and part two of this show, podcast show. Uh, Go to episode 13, which is titled Anxiety, Seasonal Allergies, Immune System Health, and COVID. Don't be fooled by the title. It's all about inflammation and how to begin to reduce that. And then check out my free training, The Three Secrets to Natural Anxiety Banishment that I mentioned earlier. And of course, if you're interested and want to work with me privately, you can book an anxiety relief consult or better yet, join the Breaking Up with Anxiety group coaching program where I will walk you through all six steps and you're in community with other women who are doing it with you and who really understand what you're going through and really understand your struggles because they also have or had, because we have some alumni in the group who've been in there for a few years and like me, they no longer have an anxiety disorder, panic, or depression. Now, I'm not sure in what ways exactly your medication is making you feel worse because you didn't um, specify symptoms. So I'm just going to go through some common kind of side effects people experience when taking SSRIs or SNRIs and explain a little bit from a body-based perspective um, why some of these symptoms are happening. So, you know, restlessness, sleep issues, insomnia, nausea or upset stomach, loss of appetite, rapid weight loss or weight gain, headaches, dizziness, lightheadedness, sweating. There are sexual side effects like decreased libido or difficulty orgasming, hormonal fluctuations, PMS, you know, changes in your menstrual cycle, uh, fatigue, low energy levels, tremors, muscle twitches, blurred vision. Um, The GI side effects like constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, bloating, There's cognitive side effects, difficulty concentrating, memory problems, feeling confused or disoriented, and then emotional blunting. So decreased emotional responsiveness, mood swings, increased anxiety, and depression. There are more. That's not an exhaustive list. It's just the most common ones. And guess what? All of these symptoms are symptoms of impaired gut health, inflammation, and nutrient deficiencies, which... Ding, 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 ding. Medication is making worse because it is a give-take relationship. For me, my biggest side effects were restlessness, sleep issues, holy moly, insomnia, um, nausea, upset stomach, weight gain. I gained 20 pounds, dizziness, lightheadedness, zero libido. And actually, my boyfriend at the time cheated on me and I completely rationalized it. Like I broke up with him, but in my head, I was also like, well, of course he cheated on me because I have zero sex drive. So like, of course that happened to me. I also had um, major cognitive side effects like difficulty concentrating, memory problems, confused disorientation. Like I had to leave school because I literally couldn't do school and I'm a smart person. (laughs) Uh, Blurred vision and lots of emotional blunting. Oh my God, I was a zombie. Like life was gray and muted. It's a big reason why I really spiraled into drinking and doing a lot of drugs because I was chasing a high. I was chasing feeling something, anything. I just needed to feel. So I was on the highest daily dose of Prozac and I was still experiencing all of those symptoms. Like what the fuck was the medication doing? In my case, nothing. It was just making my imbalances worse, keeping me stuck. And nobody, until I finally landed with that amazing old man psychiatrist who changed my life, 
Nobody ever mentioned to me like, oh, hey, it doesn't seem like the medication is the answer here for you. Let's look at alternatives. Nope. (laughs) Instead, I was just left to feel broken because clearly it was me. Clearly I was extra fucked up if the medication wasn't helping. And like that, what a depressing thought that was, which added to my depression. Thinking back, I, I was definitely experiencing depression as a teenager But I didn't have a label for it. And at the time, I didn't have a label for it at the time, but my anxiety and panic disorder really triggered my depression. And in many ways, it made it worse. So for me, releasing the anxiety and panic was like the gateway to releasing the depression because the anxiety and the panic and just being stuck in that situation was making the depression worse. Plus being on the medication was making everything worse. So I really understand this question of why is medication making me feel worse and like where the heck do I go from here when nobody is providing you with any other options because that was the same for me until that psychiatrist did that for me. And hopefully this podcast and all my other work does that for you. It shows you and anyone listening another way out because there is one. You just have to be ready to walk the path. And just to quickly explain some of the symptoms – Restlessness, sleep issues, insomnia, for example, the nutrient deficiencies at play here are things like magnesium, those B vitamins, the B12, the folate, the vitamin D, also inflammation, because remember the intestinal permeability medication is creating increases inflammation and, and also not eating enough protein. It not, well, (laughs) not that that directly correlates to inflammation, but, um, I mean, it does in some ways, but not eating enough protein is one of the reasons for the symptom of restlessness, sleep issues, and insomnia. Then we have nausea or upset stomach. And again, we're looking at magnesium, B vitamins, not eating enough protein, and the body not being able to clear toxins quickly enough from our medications and our environment. And this is um, a representation of digestive function because the liver and the colon are part of the detox and drainage funnel. So if something is going on, There, with those two organs, toxins will stay trapped in the body, essentially. Dizziness and lightheadedness, again, we're looking at deficiencies like magnesium, B vitamins, not eating enough protein. So you see how it's all connected. The body-based imbalances like nutrient deficiencies and inflammation and impaired digestive function are creating the symptoms. And medication is making those imbalances louder and in for a lot of people, those symptoms louder. Headaches is another example with what's at play here. Uh, Inflammation, nutrient deficiencies like B vitamins, magnesium, constipation, which again could be happening from the medication. The liver needs support, not getting enough sleep, which could be from the medication. I mean, the list goes on and on here. And you know what? Another episode idea. I'm going to do an episode explaining all the root causes for all of these symptoms. I've already done some, like sleep. I've done full episodes on that. You know what's really funny? Something that held me back from doing a podcast for so long was I thought I would run out of things to talk about. And now I have this, like, I don't even know, 50-page Google Doc with things I want to talk about. The content is never-ending. I just, like, I'm so inspired by the questions people ask, by the conversations I'm having with my clients, the conversations I'm having in my DMs, and even just recording podcast episodes. I'm like, oh, that's an idea. That's an idea. That's an idea. I need to write it down. Okay. Anyway, so hopefully now you have a better understanding of what medication is doing slash not doing. 
and why it's potentially making you feel worse. Now let's talk about what to do moving forward. I've already been dropping these tips throughout, but just to recap, whether you want to stay on medication or come off, the steps are pretty much the same. There's just maybe a few differences. So step one, look at your gut health and your diet. How much protein are you eating daily? How much fiber? Have you reduced or removed gluten, dairy, sugar, corn, and soy and seed oils? Um, Is your diet protein forward with tons of fruits and veggies? What kind of fat are you eating? These are all questions that you want to ask yourself. If you aren't interested in the Breaking Up With Anxiety group coaching program, I highly recommend you get the Bye Bye Anxiety Bundle, or if you just want to do this yourself, which is super cool. um, The Bye Bye Anxiety Bundle has basically everything that is included in my group coaching program, but it's bundled together into three separate workshops, and it's self-paced. So I quite literally am telling you step by step by step, do this, do this, do this. And it has everything you need. You just need to be self-led and you need to take action or at least get the how to reprogram your gut workshop. That's where if people are like, I don't know where to start. I just want to get one workshop. Maybe the budget is tight. It's 97 bucks. And that is where everybody should start. Trying to troubleshoot your own health takes a lot of time and energy. Trying to Google all the things, like you're listening to what this person said on Instagram and this person said on TikTok, and then Google said this. So why not just follow a proven step-by-step-by-step plan, which is what my programs and workshops offer. So that's step one. Step two, get proper blood work to see what nutrients you're deficient in and supplement with those or address this through diet and gut health, especially if your goal is to stay on medication. But I really think everyone should be getting proper blood work as much as possible and having it read through functional lab lab ranges. You can tell I'm getting heated when I talk about this. Not going to your medical doctor and then having your medical doctor tell you everything is fine. Medical doctors are reading blood work through outdated marker outdated markers. I'm so fired up. I'm tripping over my words. (laughs) Outdated markers of sickness and disease, not optimal health. So this is why so many women are falling through the cracks and not getting the answers they need. Step three, look at what other areas of your life are contributing to your anxiety, like your lifestyle, and your stress management or lack of daily stress management practice because medication isn't going to make up for the fact that maybe you're watching TV or you're on your phone or both right up until you go to bed and then first thing in the morning you're on your phone. Medication isn't going to fix the fact that you're staying up past 11 p.m. every night or that you're not breathing properly or that you aren't going out for a daily walk if you're physically able or moving your body every single day if you're physically able, lifting weights. Medication won't address your potential lack of boundaries. All of these things that will cost you $0 to change and implement because they're lifestyle choices you are making, these things impact your mental health big time. And again, I'm going to say this again, and I'll probably say this a million other times. It comes down to this. Reduce inflammation, optimize digestive function, boost natural neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones into alignment, release physical stress within the body, and learn to effortlessly manage your mental and emotional stress and build a flexible nervous system. I'm literally telling you what to do. 
I'm not hiding anything from anyone. If you desire my help and support to navigate these six steps, then send me an email or a DM on Instagram and we can chat about if my Breaking Up With Anxiety group coaching program or private version of the program is the right fit for you. My DMs are always open, okay? I cannot and I will not give you personal device, personalized advice in there because it's not legal, it's not ethical, but I can help you navigate all my free information. I can help point you in the right direction. I can celebrate your wins with you. I can offer support because I understand and I get it. I get what you're going through. And of course, I can help you figure out which of my offerings is your next move if that's something you're interested in. Now, as I mentioned, those are all the steps you want to take, medication or no medication. But if you are looking to transition off medication, here is what I recommend to all my clients. This is not medical advice, okay? Nothing in my podcast is. This is educational information for your educational purposes only. If you are not working with me, if we haven't established a client-practitioner relationship, this is never, ever, ever, ever personal advice. And if you are a client, you always come to me and you ask me questions about the things you hear in the podcast, and then we talk about it, and then that would be considered personal advice. Even these Ask Me Anything episodes, I'm, a- I'm still answering them generically. So that being said, if looking to taper off medication, you want to properly prepare and support the body for at least three to six months prior to tapering off. My advice to everyone looking to come off their medication is always address diet, gut health, and hormones, build a solid foundation for at least three months, and then slowly taper off, and always, always, always taper off under the direction of your prescribing physician or whoever you're working with. So for example, my psychiatrist who helped me taper was not my prescribing physician. My prescribing physician was my medical doctor, but both were qualified. Well, the psychiatrist is way more qualified to help me transition off. Here are the steps that I recommend doing for a successful tapering. Number one, address the underlying root causes of why you are experiencing anxiety. These are diet, gut health, lifestyle, nutrient deficiencies, physical stress, stress management, and trauma. You do not need to have these things 100% resolved. Integrating trauma is a long process, but so worth it, but it's a long process. But you do want to have a good handle on your diet, your lifestyle, your gut health, and you want your nutrient deficiencies replenished. This is how you prep and support the body before tapering. Minimum three months once you have built up to all of these things. So it's not like, okay, today I'm going to start changing my diet and I'm slowly going to increase protein. I'm slowly going to drink more water. I'm slowly going to reduce gluten, dairy, sugar, corn, and soy. I'm slowly going to eat more veggies and fruit, reduce boxed and packaged processed foods. And then three months exactly from today deciding this, I'm going to begin to taper off. No, that's not what I mean. Your three-month clock starts when you have reached the dietary goals everything I talked about, at 70 to 80% of the time. That alone can take three to four months to build up to. So first, build the foundation. And once the foundation is in place and you are 70 to 80% of the time doing the things, then start the three-month clock. Number two, 
Educate yourself about all the potential psychological and physical withdrawal symptoms that can occur or work with a practitioner like myself who can help you navigate this because the symptoms of the discontinuation syndrome mimic the symptoms of anxiety, of panic, of depression. And without an understanding of this, you might think you're just having a relapse or that this is evidence that you need to stay on medication. That's not the case. If people were sat down and told these are all the possible side effects prior to beginning their transition off medication, they would feel better prepared and it would be less frightening. So some examples, and again, not an exhaustive list, but fatigue, muscle ache, chills, headaches, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, anything digestive, dizziness, uh, just the sensation of being off balance, mood swings, irritability, anxiety, depression, sleep issues, these vivid, vivid dreams, um, brain zaps, so those like electric shocks in the head, difficulty concentrating, memory uh, issues, brain fog, crying spells, uh, just that emotional kind of instability. It really helps to be working with someone like me in addition to your prescribing physician. So if the symptoms creep up, you have someone to ask and, and they can be like, no, this is normal. I know it sucks, but keep going. It's not a relapse. It's just withdrawal. And this is what my psychiatrist did for me. Number four, go super slow, slower than you think you need to go and slower than you're going to want to go. In 2019, there was a paper published that recommended reducing the dosage of the SSRIs slowly, like much slower than the therapeutic minimum recommendations, which is what most doctors are following. Basically, this just means that you're going to want to taper over months and months and months and by micro doses, much lower than what is actually needed to create a therapeutic effect. What most doctors are doing is these short tapers of like two to four weeks, dropping the minimum therapeutic, dropping to the minimum therapeutic dose and then stopping. And that is not ideal. That doesn't help with the withdrawal symptoms, especially if you haven't built your foundation of support first. I did not do that because I didn't know to do that. Like I, I went to school and I learned all this after I was already off medication. So I was off medication and my anxiety, panic, depression was still alive and well, <laughs> but I was off medication. When I was on medication, I didn't know that all it was doing was masking and suppressing my symptoms. And it honestly wasn't even doing that very well. I didn't know that that wasn't like the fix and what often happens is people start to feel better when on medication, sometimes, not always, but if they do start to feel better, they feel better thanks to the masking of these symptoms. So then they're like, oh, I'm feeling so good. And they decide to taper off their medication, but the body hasn't been properly supported. So then they experience these heightened withdrawal symptoms. They panic. They go back on medication thinking like, oh, I guess I need the medication when really what was needed was to address the underlying root causes, creating the anxiety and support the body for at least three months by everything I've already mentioned, which doesn't mean that you won't have any withdrawal symptoms, but, but they can be massively lowered. And I have worked with clients who haven't had any withdrawal symptoms. And then my other clients have had minimal withdrawal symptoms, but in doing the work, in our work together and everything I'm talking about in this episode, they have had 
minimal, minimal, minimal withdrawal symptoms. And then in addition to that, it's so important to go really, really slow. Uh, Dr. Achina, I think is her first name, Stein. She's a functional psychiatrist. She, uh, I saw her speak at a conference and she gave this example. If you're on 25 milligrams of Zoloft, for example, in theory, what you're going to want to do is go to 20 and then 15 and then 10 and then five, four, three, two, one milligrams. And this is similar-ish to what I did when I was coming off Prozac and I was on a way higher dose than 25 milligrams. But ideally, again, you're working with a doctor who knows this and can get your prescription compounded when it gets to those lower amounts that are way underneath the therapeutic dose, like five, four, three, two, one. Those are, they're, they're, you know, quote unquote, not doing anything, but that's how you're meant to transition off this medication. The issue is that 75% of psychiatric prescriptions are now being written by primary care providers and uh, pediatricians, ER doctors, or just kind of internists in other fields. And they're not really being prescribed by psychiatrists. And typically, psychiatrists do a complete evaluation. They will go through your entire biology, the sociology, the psychology, and the cultural implications of why you might be experiencing anxiety, panic, and depression. They're often a bit more holistic because it's in their training. However, that's not across the board. A lot of psychiatrists are really pushing meds. I have these conversations all the time with women in my DMs which is why I would recommend getting a second opinion if you are questioning being on medication. They may not be trained on like the functional piece, like the body-based imbalances and the physiology of how kind of gut health and diet and nutrient deficiencies are at play here, but they are supposed to spend the time to really gather the data and determine if medication is even appropriate. Is it severe enough that you are not functioning well or You're in so much distress that you're not really able to do anything else. Like, are you really suffering? Do the benefits of taking medication outweigh the risks of the medication for that particular person? But unfortunately, what happens nowadays is that people are seen for 15 minutes, they're not given an appropriate evaluation, and generally they're not provided with alternatives. If you cannot get your medication compounded, I didn't, pill cutters will be your best friend. And number five, look into microdosing with psilocybin, and you can use that as a tool to help you transition off medication. The company that I personally use, I love, I recommend to everyone is Vellum Health. I'm going to put the link to their website, www.vellumhealth.com. Vellum is spelled V-E-L-L-U-M, but again, I'll link it in the show notes, along with a 10% off coupon code, TAY10. And also, I highly recommend if you haven't already listening to episode 12 of this show, it's called The Magic of Microdosing, to hear more information. I actually chat with one of the co-founders of Vellum Health, and we talk about all the different ways that you can use it. And specifically, we do talk about using this mushroom to support a transition off medication. And even we talk how to use it with medication if you don't have any plans to come off either. So definitely check that out. So I'm going to give a specific example, um, anonymously, of course, of how I supported a client in breaking up with anxiety and tapering off her medication with basically zero withdrawal symptoms. So before breaking up with anxiety, she had generalized anxiety since she was little. 
She was always very quiet, timid, overthinking, overanalyzing everything. She had stomach problems for as long as she could remember. She was on 10 milligrams of Celexa daily and taking benzos as needed. Now, this is a lower dose, so the timeline will be different based on the dosages. But here's what we did. We switched up the supplements she was taking. None of them were supporting her specific imbalances and deficiencies. We addressed diet. We reduced inflammation. We balanced her blood sugar. Um, She was on the digestive and adrenal support protocol that is in the Breaking Up Anxiety Group coaching program that I have finessed over the last four years and working with over 100 women. This is the digestive and adrenal support protocol that releases anxiety at the root. And she waited three months for the body to rebalance or at least get a really nice head start in the rebalancing. And then after breaking up the anxiety, because she did all of this work when she was in the four-month program. After the program, daily anxiety gone, no longer needed her benzos eliminated her symptoms that she was experiencing, like nausea, sweatiness, the general unease. She was having these strange vertigo spells. She was in therapy, and she did stay in therapy as needed. And then after the four months in the program, she slowly, very slowly tapered off the 10 milligrams of Celexa. She did it over a four-month period. And this wasn't the first time that she tried to come off medication. The first time did not go well. She had terrible brain zaps and a bunch of other scary, unpleasant withdrawal symptoms that she just ended up going right back on the medication because the withdrawal symptoms were just too much. So that's one example. Here's my personal example. Um, As you may know, depending on how many of these episodes you've listened to or how long you've been hanging out with me on Instagram, I bounced around a couple different school psychologists. I didn't really feel like they were working. They they just weren't good fits. They were trying to get me to do cognitive behavior therapy, and I was 21, 22. I, I hated it. I I never did my workbook. It just felt like extra homework, and then I would show up, and I would get in trouble for not doing my workbook, and so then I just stopped going. I would skip sessions, and my mental health was getting progressively worse. My medication was constantly being increased. I started drinking more. I started doing drugs. It was just like this big mess. And nobody gave me any alternatives to medication or therapy or like exercise and meditation. I was kind of just told, well, that's it. And if that's not working for you, we don't know. And this went on for four years. I was taking my medication daily. I was doing yoga three times a week. Um, I was going for runs. I was hitting the school gym. I was doing boot camp classes. And yet my medication continued to be increased the anxiety wasn't getting better. I continued to have multiple panic attacks a week. I had insomnia, major sleep issues. I tried every sleep supplement, every over-the-counter remedy for sleep known to man, but I couldn't sleep unless I knocked myself out with Ativan. My nervous system was so frazzled. It was so frustrating and exhausting. I felt like I was doing all the things and nothing was working. The therapy, the medication, the exercise, the yoga, the meditation – it wasn't working. And then I slowly began my transition off medication very slowly with the help of a holistically minded psychiatrist, which was amazing. But the taper was awful because he didn't know to tell me to build my foundation first, as I have explained all throughout this episode. So I was hit with these withdrawal symptoms. It was not fun. And then after a few months, 
or I don't even know, like six or seven months, maybe I was fully off. That's when I started my holistic nutrition program. So I was off medication, but I still had anxiety, panic, and depression. And then within three months of doing school and implementing what I was learning in school, I felt 70% better. I was using food to reduce inflammation, to build neurotransmitters, to balance my hormone. I was supplementing the nutrient deficiencies that medication had created. I was addressing my digestive imbalances. I was optimizing digestion. I was exercising according to my cycle, not over-exercising, which is what I was doing before. And I was looking at what was causing physical stress within my body and working to address that. In addition to, I had a yoga and a breathwork practice. And then several months later, I was like a completely different person. Gone was the daily anxiety. Gone was the depression. Gone were the panic attacks. I had one panic attack two years later, triggered by by a very specific situation, and I haven't had one since. So that was in 2017 was when I had my last panic attack. So I know it may feel like you have tried everything, but I promise you haven't. There is so much that can be done to support the body and actually truly release your anxiety and panic disorder. So I really hope that this episode helped. You got this. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you loved today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.